How do we walk as Christians in our daily lives? The letter of James offers us practical lessons on what to say and what to do as Christians. That's why at Bellwether we're doing a series on James and we're calling it Our Walk because we want to walk by faith. We want your Christian faith to change your walk. written in this song, that our sin is nailed to the cross that you hung upon, and you took our sin, our guilt, our shame, and give us life, and future, and resurrection that can begin today. Dear Lord, we pray for those of us struggling that it would be well in our soul, for those of us that need life and are searching and scrambling for life through boyfriends or girlfriends or being in the right crowd or in our marriages or in money or in nice trips or whatever it is that continues to leave us void, we would be filled by the power of your Holy Spirit with Jesus. And we would see with the eyes of our heart that wherever we go and whatever we do, in the joys and the sorrows, you're with us, you're teaching us, you're guiding us, and by you we will have a crown of glory that awaits us. Give us that faith, let us walk by faith, and let our faith change the way we walk in this life, in our time that you've given us, to impact others, people, families, a city, a world for Jesus. That's our call. Help us continue growing in it by the power of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Thank you all. Y'all can have a seat. Take your uh, Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, there's some on our back table, and and turn in the back to uh, James. James is a a letter. It's a short letter. James chapter 1. In the back of your Bibles... And uh, before we get into that, uh, I want to talk a little bit in kind of vague terms, but kind of specific terms, about my past week. I don't know how your past week has been, but in my past week, you know, I was up uh, visiting family in New Albany and, you know, have some struggles uh, with with family. I don't know if you all do. Maybe uh, your family's perfect, uh, but uh, uh, things, uh, I could name my brother, I could name my mom, uh, I could name... Uh, families, uh, really I don't want to go there. But let's just say, you know, I go up there and I'm with, with family and so that, that kicks off the week. I mean, it was a great week and everything, but, but you know, there, there's struggle. Then, then I come back and, uh, you know, the week goes on and I visit with people, uh, some of y'all, and, and I see the trials that you go through uh, in life. And then day by day, like I see other people and Man, I just, you know, I see so many folks, and, and so many of them are not only struggling, but then there's some that offend me. I don't know if y'all get offended easily, but, you know, just things they say, or, or maybe just how they, they walk and they talk, and I'm like, man, that guy is so cocky without a reason, you know? And it just bugs me. I don't know if y'all know anybody like that, and I have to pray, like, 
please, Lord, let me not be offended. Just, you know, people I come in contact with. You know, then, you know, like my wife and I get into a humdinger on Thursday night. And uh, late Thursday night, which keeps me up later. And then, you know, I have this regret. And so I'm up even later. And so that just gets our weekend off to a, a phenomenal start. You know, like Friday's my Saturday. But we repent and everything. And then my kids... I mean, you know, Jack's great, but he's got, you know, a little bit of an attitude. You know, Logan still can't talk. So, I mean, I'm praying for him on that. And then we got Ethan, his little baby. So, you mean, I mean, it's just all joy, you know, and bliss at my house. I don't know about y'all's. But uh, that's just my week, you know. I mean, that's like a normal week without even going into specifics, uh, which I know y'all would love. And thank goodness uh, my wife's keeping the nursery. That's a great segue into a way of serving, but she's not in today. So you can, you know, tell her, you know, we, we kicked off the sermon that way. All that to say is, man, I got my trials. I got my trials, and I, and I didn't even bring up, you know, nuclear stuff that can, can come up uh, in our, our lives. And, and I know some of y'all are, are hitting, you know, bombs and, you know, trying to avoid landmines uh, with our kids, uh, with marriage, uh, with uh, relationships, just people we come in contact with. I mean, offense is like such a big deal, and a lot of us carry offense, and man, we just... We go through trials, and this is without the sickness or, you know, facing death uh, or, you know, facing, you know, financial uh, bankruptcy or or whatever it might be. This is not even the big explosions. And, you know, a week ago, uh, two weeks ago, you know, we were talking about uh, something that is continuing to impact our community. uh, It's a devastating uh, loss, and, and some of us are still, you know, asking why. So, all that to say is, I mean, we got trials. We got tribulations. So, how, how do we live in this? How? We just finished a series, our August series, we called it Raise. And it was specifically tied to our mission statement raising leaders, raising families, raising the kingdom. And it's really like a vision series of who we want to be as a community as a family, raising leaders. But I'd also call it, you know, there's some series that are should series. As in, we, we should do this. We, we should strive for this. We should reach for this. We should live this way as a church. So that was a should series. But the church, we should preach should, but we should also preach how to. Like how to do this. How to walk in trials. I mean, simply the day-to-day, week-to-week, the mess, the messiness of life. And so, I'm thankful that God put it in our heart. We're going to begin a how-to series, and we are calling it Our Walk. Because it's your walk, and it's my walk, but it's our walk together as a community, as a family, as a church. And it's going to be in the letter of James. And so we're going to, this is our fall series. We're going to take nine weeks. And we are going to go through James. I love James. It is, a, it is so practical, telling us how to walk and also how to talk. He says a lot about the tongue. So be ready. And it's like a manual for Christians. And it's a great letter, or book, however you want to call it, uh, for new believers uh, I, would, I would really argue, and we've got uh, several new believers, and I want us to always have several new believers here. It should be one of the first books that a new Christian uh, should read and try to just get seared into their minds. 
because it's so good in how to walk and how to talk and how to live and how to live amongst the messiness. You know, there's always that question, if you were at or in a a deserted island, you know, if you had one book, the Bible, okay, Sunday school answer. However, within that Bible, I would love to have this letter to James because, again, it's so practical. It's such a how-to, and so we're going to spend the next two months at least, going through James and looking at how to walk. And there's, you know, Paul writes, not James, he says, walk by faith. And I pray that our faith would grow in this, where faith changes our walk as we see this in the letter to James. Now, a little background before we get into the scripture. Uh, First, who was James? Like, who is this author? And that's important because there were two... Two James, in, oh, actually there were four James, but two that we know a lot about. The first was James, the brother of John the disciple. And these were uh, really the three uh, leaders, the big wigs of the twelve, Peter, James, and John. So James and John were brothers. James was also the first disciple who was uh, killed or martyred. Herod in Acts uh, was mad at the church, so he took James up to the top of the temple and threw him off for all to see, and he died as a witness. Which is interesting, you know, because James was the first disciple to be killed, whereas brother John, they believe he was the last. So, I don't know, just a a little tidbit. That kind of fascinated me this week as I was reading over this. But that's not the James who wrote this letter. So this is not James the disciple. This is another James, and if you read through Acts, you can confuse these two. This is James who was the brother like the real brother, not like Christian brother, the real brother of Jesus. Actually, his half-brother, because Joseph was really James' dad, and, you know, Jesus came from the Lord. This is the brother of Jesus. So, you know, in his growing up, I mean, he was with Jesus, hung with Jesus, played with Jesus. You know, I don't know if he picked on Jesus or Jesus picked on him, but, I mean, I think there was probably, you know, brotherly love going down. And... What's interesting, and you may not know this, is that Jesus' family, and this may may be extra information, but I love this kind of stuff. Jesus' family did not believe Jesus was who he said he was until after the resurrection. Now, we can argue about Mary, but in John, it talks about uh, his family not believing. And so, James, his brother, did not believe and did not follow Jesus as he was teaching and healing It was only after he rose from the grave that James was converted, which is, to me, fascinating and remarkable. You spend all this time with Jesus, you're living with him, and then, you know, you're like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow you. And I think it's, you know how we, a lot of times, think our siblings are like kooks, or just, you know, just like, you know, nut, or just like, man, he's just whacked out, and, you know, we can just be, I mean, I think there was a little of that. I mean, I think, you know, Jesus was fully man and fully God, and you know, there was this deal going on that probably some resentment and probably some offense. And it was only after he died on the cross and rose in the grave that his family were totally bought in and converted. And then James, his brother, was really like the pastor or at least one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote this letter. Who was it written to? It was written to many Christians scattered throughout the Middle East. Because, see, what was happening is the believers were being persecuted, and these were folks who'd lost their homes, who'd lost their jobs, who'd lost their security, and they were living in foreign cultures because they'd been run out 
of Jerusalem and they needed some encouragement and they needed to understand, like, how do I live this Christian walk like we do today? And they needed some knowledge and encouragement on, like, how do I deal with trials and suffering like we do today? So James, our brother, who went before us, wrote to them and he writes to us now about how to live and how to walk and how to do this Christian life. So I'm thankful we have it and thankful that we are going to start looking at it today. So we're just going to pick up on James 1, verse 1. And really simply, I'm going to read four verses, but we're going to tie some of these scripture to some other verses in the Bible, okay? So let's pick up James chapter 1, verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's stop right there, okay? First thing I want to do, though, I want to highlight verse 1. And I don't, I don't know about y'all, but often in the Bible, you, we can be reading, and you know, not every verse is John 3.16, so we can kind of skip over, especially like the intro verses. James 1.1 1, 1 would be a verse, I mean, I've honestly skipped over it a couple times, I mean, just to, to be transparent, but you can say, okay, yeah, this is just him saying, hey, I'm James, you know, let's get to the good stuff. But verse 1 is powerful, because if you know who James is, and then you see what James writes, it's pretty powerful. Here's what I mean. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have said, James, brother of Jesus, lived in Jesus' house, you know, Fought with Jesus lovingly, wrestled with Jesus. He could have said, grew up with Jesus, at the dinner table with Jesus. Could have said, known Jesus better than all y'all. Or he could have said, James, pastor, leader at the first church, you know, first church Jerusalem, which was the first church, and brother of Jesus. Could have said all that. I mean, he, he had quite a resume here. And he says, humble servant. James, humble servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you connect with that, but I really do. Because uh, so often, and, and when we talk about raising leaders here, we define leaders as humble servants at Bellwether. Uh, we define leaders as those who don't seek out a position, who don't seek out status or to be the, the leader in, in the church. Because it's biblical that the leaders here are humble servants and not concerned about position or status or power. I say, we serve our Lord Jesus Christ. And James is this dude, like, if anybody could brag, he could brag. Uh, being with Jesus from an early age, knowing him, then being converted, powerful testimony there, being a leader at the church, and yet he just says, I'm a humble servant. I don't want you to miss that. Right? And as leaders for Christ... The only time Jesus uses the word he says the leaders are servants. And that's who James is. Now, we've got three verses here. Verse 2, 3, and 4. And I believe these three verses tell us three uh, important things about how to profit. Okay, profit is the word there. Profit from trials, through trials, 
I don't know if y'all, you know, connect with profit, but for me, it, you know, that's good. That's value. So how, you're like, okay, trials, tribulations, how do I get value from that? James is your letter. James is your guy. Not only is he going to talk in these couple of verses, but he'll hit it again over and over in his letter because the people he was writing to then and now were being persecuted as Christians, were getting killed, which we don't have to deal with, but we got other brothers and sisters in the world who are, how to profit from trials, okay? First thing, verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. First thing we can learn is that James says, we can have all joy in all variety. All joy in all variety. Now you're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the Greek word here when it says all joy, that word all literally means total, whole, pure, completely. And James is saying, man, you don't have to put on your fake smile. And James is saying, you don't have to, to put on your fake face. You don't have to wear your mask. You don't have to act like you're doing okay. There is a real joy, a full joy, all joy, complete joy that you can have, we can have, in Jesus Christ, even in all kinds of trials. When he says trials in this verse, that's interesting too. The Greek word for it, and don't like check out when I say Greek, because this is like really important stuff. It literally means like a bird testing its wings. And so as Christians, when Jesus dwells in us by the power of His Spirit, we are going to have trials. And it is literally like God giving, giving us these tests to, to test our wings. See how we're flying. See how we're flying. And then James says, in a variety, all variety, various kinds. Look, let me be real clear. I think there are three types of trials we face. Uh, some of you may be hitting all three today. Uh, but some of you may be hitting one of the three. The first is the cause and effect trial. And this is the deal where choices or sin have consequences. So, you know, you live a certain way, and there are consequences. There's a cause, and there is an effect. There's an effect in relationships. Uh, you stay out all night, you know, as husbands, and you got kids, not going to be good for your marriage. Uh, not going to be good for the relationship. There's an effect there. And we could list multiple examples of bad choices that have bad effects, and that's a trial. But that's not the only trial. Another trial would be the spiritual type of trial. Here's what I mean by that. That just because you're a Christian, you're going to face trials. All right, what are you talking about? I'm talking about you may be mocked, or persecuted, or looked down upon, or frowned upon, because you say, hey, I believe in Jesus. I mean, I don't know, some of you last night, y'all may have been out, like, man, I gotta, I gotta go home early because I gotta go to church. And they're like, man, you, you know, I don't know, geek, or, you know, Christian nut, or, oh, you're going to church? I mean, you're gonna get ribbed. I mean, that happened to me. I mean, I think about our youth, honestly, uh, that are growing here uh, in our church family. I was talking to Jill. Jill, you here? I wasn't going to say this, but you, you told me this morning. I'm going to brag on AC, so she's not here, and, but she's going to be, you know, talked about. AC is, uh, was interviewing for this leadership deal, and she talked about how much she's growing through her church family, through her Bellwether family. Praise God. 
However, I know what youth go through. I've been a youth. I'm not a youth now. But, I mean, I've heard from youth about how you can be mocked for taking stands. You can, you know, not be in the in crowd or the cool crowd uh, as a Christian. And it doesn't change much when you grow up, honestly. I mean, a lot of you adults know that. A lot of you adults who are trying to make a change in your life and, you know, not like this is a great thing to say, but it just kind of came to You know, Michael Corleone, Godfather 3, is like, I treat... Keep trying to get out, but they keep pulling me back in. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, that's what he said, and I just, it just kind of hit me. I was like, yeah, that's true. But y'all are trying to get out, but you keep pulling you back in. Hey, I got two verses for y'all real quick on that. First, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You can flip to it and sit up on the screen. Look at this. Paul writes, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If we're Christians, if we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, God's going to give us a way to get out. God's going to open a door. We can have faith in that. We can walk with that faith. Another one would be in First Peter. And listen to this. First Peter is the letter. James, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 14. It's also going to be up on the screen. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's a type of trial that is caused by us, by our bad choices. There's a type of trial that is a spiritual trial because we confess Jesus, because we love Jesus, because we're trying to walk in Jesus. Things don't go well. I have talked to believers that have gotten saved and baptized, and the next year is the worst year of their life. But yet they have joy, and they say, man, if this had gone down before, I don't know what I'd have done. But they count it all joy and blessing. I mean, Satan is real, Temptation and trials are real, and he seeks to kill and destroy. And so when we're trying to walk in Christ, we're going to get hit. We need a family. We need the church. We need one another. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need this word to say, as Peter says, man, count it. Count it as joy. If you get, if you get mocked because you stand for Jesus. I told somebody this week, people can be offended just at the way we live. It's real. It's a spiritual trial. But then the last is the toughest. There's the effects. There's a spiritual trial. And then there's, I just call it mysterious trial. And this would be like the trial of Job. When everything's hitting the fan and you're like, man, I, I just don't know why this is going down. I can't see it. This would also be the trial when a young man passes and we feel like, man, that's just too soon. And we have multiple examples when, there, when there's great heartache and, and you know, we don't know why it happened, uh, when the 9-11's hit, God forbid, and you're like, why? What is going, the mysterious trial. It's just, it, it is a mystery. I, but it's also the greatest opportunity for faith and to walk in faith. When we're burdened by physical ailments, cancer, struggles, our back, maybe we can't even walk, why? We cry out to God, why? It's a mystery. Greatest opportunity for Jesus to shine through. So I hope you know that James says, whatever trial you're facing, and it may be all three, 
is all joy in all variety. And we can have it. His word says it. It says it much clearer than I, than I can. It's the Bible. Now something else, though, we can know about our trial that verse 3 says is that the test forges the steadfast. Verse 3 again says, For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What is your test? Everybody, we're all going through a test. Multiple tests. What is it? Define it in your mind. What is your test? If Jesus dwells in your life, He's going to use that test to forge you as a stronger person, man, woman, young man, young woman, Christian, believer, disciple, to move forward in your faith for Christ in this world. That is the Bible. That is the gospel. I don't know what your test is. I got some tests. But they're forging me just as they're forging you. Now, I read a lot of books on leadership, love leadership, passionate about it. And in a lot of these leadership books, they coin this phrase called, well, this leader had his wilderness period, which they get from the Bible. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. But it is very interesting where so many leaders go through a time of despair, uh, depression, uh, physical ailments. I mean, you see this business leader, political leader, spiritual leaders, their wilderness period. Actually, right now, I'm reading this book on the CIA, fascinated with the CIA. I mean, not, not looking to go into the CIA, but I mean, love CIA type stuff. And they have their training camp called The Farm, which is in Virginia. This is no secret. But one of the exercises they do before an agent is an agent is they take them out in the middle of the woods and, and leave them there and give them three days, you know, with nothing. So they're in the wilderness and they got to get back to the camp, you know, in one piece. And so there's this, this wilderness challenge. You know, I was an Eagle Scout, Pierce. Love you. I'm praying for you. I was an Eagle Scout and did the Wilderness Survival Merit Badge. We had to do the same thing, Camp Yachting up in North Mississippi. You know, probably wasn't that tough, and we just sat around telling jokes all night. But we survived the night, you know, in the wilderness. I'm saying this because even in, like, secular literature, even uh, in training for leaders, there's this time of wilderness. There is a, a trial, and the test is supposed to forge... The steadfast. Now, 1 Peter writes about this too. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. Listen to what he says. Peter says, In this you rejoice, that would be the trial, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter's talking about this to the church in Rome. And the Romans carried swords. And probably everybody here knew that to make a sword sharper and stronger, you had to stick the sword in the fire. And the fire and the heat would literally cast out the impurities in the metal. And make it stronger, make it harder... And that's what trials do for us. That's what tests do for us. The test will forge us into being more steadfast. And if we are Christians, I, I believe this. I mean, not everybody might say that. We're warriors. I mean, we're, we're in a battle, a spiritual battle, that impacts the physical world. And we need to be strong and stout. We don't need to just raise leaders. We need to grow leaders. 
you know, and share and live and love and help people understand this is, this is how we need to live. We need to be forged. God's word forges us. God's worship, one another, forges us. And I'd encourage y'all that the test you're in will forge you and make you sharper and stronger to be a warrior, to fight this battle that we are in for the cause of Christ, for our growth and His glory. It's what Scripture says. Peter says, man, you're in these tests, it's going to forge you. Like a fire forges the sword. And then last, going back to James verse 4, says that a test or a trial can have a full effect on us. Full effect. That's a phrase, I don't know, that's used like, you know, you want the full effect of something. And the full effect as a Christian of a trial is not despair or depression or feeling lost. That is not the full effect. And if you are there now, you need to know that the cause of Jesus is to save your heart and life and marriage and family and children, not just for life eternal, but for this day, in this age, that you can be used as a leader for Christ in your job, as you go in your work, in your relationships, with the in-laws you struggle with, with the spouse that, man, there's constant conflict. With the children who've grown up, you're like, man, do we even connect? And Jesus says, yes, look to me, turn to me. What we've just sang about. There is a full effect that even in the midst of all of these trials, James says, you'll be perfect and complete. Perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. That trials, your starting point is a trial. And it makes you steadfast. And then you're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What victory! What glory! What joy! I mean, think about that. And you're like, man, I don't know, it's just the Bible. Some of you might say, that's what I, it's just the Bible, you know? It's the Bible. It's God's Word. Trials. Steadfast. Perfect. Complete. Lack nothing. Lack nothing. Praise God. And that word uh, complete in Greek, it, it literally means mature. And we want to raise up leaders who are mature and growing in maturity more and more. It doesn't happen overnight, but often we grow the most in our trials. And if we have resolve and faith in God's word and saying, this is going to happen, God's word says, this is going to happen. You have trials and you have Christ you're going to end up being perfect, complete. You're going to lack nothing. You can have that faith. Even when everything's hitting the fan, even when things seem dire, God's Word is true. I want to use one more verse. This is in Philippians. And uh, is Paul talking about... Is Paul talking about straining forward for the cause of Christ... All of us are at different places in life. We've got to push forward for Jesus. This is Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on 
to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Hope y'all heard that. Jesus has made me, I won't say you, his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Where are you today? What's going down in your life? Let me phrase it again. Who are you? Are you like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm me. You know, my life is my own. You know, sin is not adultery. Sin is not theft. Uh, sin is not greed. Sin is us saying, hey, I'm going to be on the throne. So God, get down. And you're like, I don't do that. Really? Because I have. And I struggle with it now. Sin is us taking God off the throne and putting ourselves on it. And here in the Bible Belt, you know, we can sit on the throne and like use Jesus and, you know, make our throne look better. So it's, you know, Jesus can help us out. What Paul says, what Scripture says, put God on the throne of our lives. And whatever we may face, He's going to use it for good and strengthen us. And He's saying, press on. Press on to the call of Jesus. And you know what the result of that is? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are now. I don't know what trial you're hitting. The result is literally, okay, literally a crown of glory. You don't believe me? James 1 again, but verse 12. It's the last verse. It says, Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial, for when he or she has stood the test, he or she will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. God's promised all of us this crown of life for eternity. You may be saying, oh great, you know, now I've got to wait to heaven you know, to get that. You know what, to be truthful, maybe. Just to be like totally honest and not be like, you know, health and wealth gospel. But you know that's the result. And you know you've got a crown waiting for you. And you know you're being used in this world and forged, perhaps for something even, perhaps for a greater mission in the world to come. I mean, there are angels. Scripture's clear. And angels do work for Christ. And God may be stealing you and forging you for this great eternal work. I don't know, but I think that is possible. But man, I can feel, I can taste the crown now. Even in the midst of trial. Even when I talk to people. Even when I have weeks like this, which really ain't that bad. Or when I have weeks like two weeks ago. When I'm like, God, I'm struggling here. But I see His glory all throughout the city. And raising men and women up. I believe, I want you to believe in the future hope and the result and that it begins today. The crown of life for your school's youth, for your marriages, folks that are struggling, for your families when we struggle with our kids, for our jobs, for everything. Jesus matters. He matters now. Not in the world to come. Embrace Him. Embrace the trial. And know it's building you and growing you and stealing you and forging you for something much greater. That's what I choose to do. That's what I know many leaders choose to do. That's what I want everybody to do that walks through these doors. Because we are going to get hit by trials. And we're getting hit now. 
And Paul and James and Peter, they say the same thing. Count it joy because God's shaping you and He's got this great work for you and for your life. Rest in that. Love that. It is the gospel and it is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. It is encouraging. I pray that Your people see it as encouraging and not just the power of positive thinking. But that they look into Your Word and see this practical, God-given, God-inspired words that speak into our hearts and our lives because we are all facing trials. And because You love us, they're all big to You. So give us faith that we can walk through these trials with Jesus, with one another, in love, and they'll grow us. And you'll use us in great ways in this world and the world to come. I pray for our folks here today. Pray for the trials they're in. And I would pray that in the trial they would begin to see a glimpse of your glory and the door of escape that you give them. Show it to them. Thank you, Jesus, for your power, for your eternal word, for your purpose for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Bellwether podcast. Please join us next week as we continue our series with Walk in Temptation.